We're going to be in um, Genesis 44, if you want to turn there. And again, we don't have the Pew Bibles in uh, because of the way that we, because of the um, way that we're going about cleaning everything up, uh, cleaning the pews and cleaning the sanctuary now. Um, we, we think that the books would get ruined, uh, and it's pretty. It would be pretty challenging to put them in, uh, take them out, and put them in, and clean them all every week. So uh, we just thought this was the best best solution. Well, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 44, looking, continuing to look at our look at Joseph and um, what he, you know, what he has, uh, what we can learn, really what we can learn for our life and for our life today. That's what we need to be able to do with the Bible. Let's pray and we'll get into this chapter. Father, thank you for your grace to us that is shown in so many ways, many of which I think we probably overlook. Well, not probably, I know I do. We just get so used to things. We get so used to what's going on that we think it's just natural. And we forget that it's, um, that life, you are involved in all of life. We appreciate that fact. We appreciate that reality. Help us to see it more, to understand it better. So much better that it affects our living because that's what it needs to be. What you tell us in your word is not just so we can have some, uh, nice stories or favorite verses, but so that our life can be more modeled after after you, that we can more and more grow to be like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the example that you've called us to be. So teach us again from your word. Touch the hearts here. You know the challenges they have faced this week and the things that are coming up so much better than I ever could, uh, Father. So that what you have helped me to... Um, to share and, and directed me, I pray that you would uh, use this, use your truth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, Joseph's brothers uh, didn't realize that he was this Egyptian official, you know, in, the, in this video, it was a little, he didn't look too much different than he did before, except instead of his coat of many colors, he had on, uh, you know, a purple robe. Uh, I think, you know, his, his appearance was much, was much different than that. So now they're coming before him a second time, and they, again, didn't realize this is actually their brother Joseph. Uh, you know, so this is their second time before, in their minds, the, an Egyptian official. So when we talk about Joseph, we say Joseph because we know that's who it is. But in their minds, they didn't know yet where we are up, up here into chapter 44. They didn't know yet that this, that this was Joseph. Now their father, Jacob, that's Israel, Jacob and Israel. Israel here is an individual, Jacob. It's not, not a nation yet. This is where it first be, where it, you know, his name, his name has been changed and he is becoming, it will, he will become a nation, his descendants. But at this point, Israel is just an individual. Uh, and as it pointed out in the video, he treated Joseph, uh, as a special son. You know, he treated him, gave him, you know, he, he was, <laughs> This is going to sound really odd to us. He was born to Jacob's favorite wife. Now, I am married to my favorite wife. She also happens to be my only wife. Uh, they, they, uh, if, if, if you recall, when Jacob uh, went and worked for his father-in-law Laban, um, he wanted to marry Rachel, and instead he was he was given he was given uh, Leah, the daughter that. The other daughter he preferred, you know, Rachel. And so at any rate, um, 
you know, he was he was tricked and then later given Rachel. So he had more than one wife. And then, you know, they got into they got into competition and brought in their concubines, you know, and it was their slaves. It, they just made a mess. But at any rate, um, you know, so Joseph and Benjamin, those were the two born to Rachel. And um, Jacob gave Joseph this coat of many colors. It was talked about on the video again. Uh, and Joseph reported on his brothers to his father. At least some of it at his father's request. We're not sure how often that request was, but you know, at least at least part of it was there. And then Joseph had two dreams about his brothers bowing down to him, and even their father. Second dream, even their father, his father bowing down to him, and they, uh, you know, the, the brothers had enough. Uh, when Joseph was sent by Jacob to check on his brothers as they were grazing the sheep, then uh, the brothers saw an opportunity uh, to act on these feelings. And, well, they saw an opportunity and they acted on these feelings. Uh, they, they, uh, they acted poorly. They, they seized Joseph, threw him in a pit. They were planning on killing him. Uh, but they didn't. Instead, they sold him into slavery to some Midian merchants who were passing by. Uh, and then, as the video told you a little bit, you know, that he was passed around a little bit even as a slave. Um, but in order to tell, have their father, have something to tell their father, they took that coat of many colors. It says they dipped it in animal blood and they brought it to their father. They brought it to their father, Jacob, you know, and... Uh, they told him, well, we found this coat, but we didn't find Joseph there. They lied to their father, and what they did is they allowed him to believe that Joseph had been killed by wild animals. His father was grieved, severely grieved. And uh, then Joseph, in the meantime, was taken in, went through, really, it was some excruciating things. We see here where he's in charge of Egypt now, but he wasn't. You see, this is after over 20 years. After over 20 years, he gets to this place where he's elevated. But still, what good is that life if you're, if you're really, if you, you, you can't leave, if you know, you, you don't have it? Well, um, he ended up here in charge, and his brothers came to Egypt to buy food. You know, for their family to survive the severe famine, they find themselves before Joseph. And again, not knowing, not realizing, you know, that it was Joseph. Uh, been over 20 years since they had seen him. Well, last time they saw him, you know, he looked more like them. The Egyptians, they would have, you know, beards and uh, the Egyptians would be clean shaven. And plus 20 years. I mean, he was a teenager when he was, when he was uh, taken. Uh, when he was sold and here he you know he's an adult so he you know he looked much different but joseph recognized his brothers and if you saw it in the video it's because they all looked alike (laughs) but at any rate um they used up all the grain they had you know that they purchased the first time now they're back before joseph a second time all of these events i'm only rehearsing all these events because all of these events play into what begins to unfold here in chapter 44 and then on into chapter 45 they all play a role they all play a part so uh, genesis chapter 44 join me uh, verse 1 follow along beginning there with verse 1 of chapter 44 then joseph commanded his steward fill the men's bags with as much food as they can carry and put each one's money at the top of his bag. That's very similar to what he did the first time when they came for food. Verse 2, but put my cup, the silver one, at the top of the youngest one's bag along with his grain money. Uh, So he did as Joseph told him. At morning light, the men were sent off with their donkeys. They had not gone very far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, get up. 
Pursue the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Isn't this the cup that my master drinks from and uses for divination? What you have done is wrong. When he overtook them, that's when the servant overtook them, he said these words to them. They said to him, Why does my Lord say these things? Your servants could not possibly do such things, such a thing. Uh, we even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money we found at the top of our bags. How could we steal gold and silver from your master's house? If any of us is found to have it, he must die. And we also will become my Lord's slaves. The steward replied, What you have said is right, but only the one who is found to have it will be my slave, and the rest of you will be blameless. Uh, So each one quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. The steward searched, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. They tore their clothes, and each one loaded his donkey and returned to the city. Now we're going to pause there for a minute. And look at some things. Now, if you recall, chapter 43 ended. Uh, Joseph had his, had a, a meal prepared for his brothers and, uh, had, you know, they came to his house. They were a little nervous. Um, they talked to the steward, uh, you know, and he told them, no, you know, no problem. There's a paraphrase. No problem, boys. You know, we're, you're going to have lunch with, uh, the official, they didn't say Joseph, you're going to have lunch, you know, with this official. And, uh, well, then they laid out their gifts that they had brought and the payment, and the meal seemed to go well. And if you remember during that meal, it says they were shocked because Benjamin was given <laughs> five times as much as the rest of them. Uh, you know, and so th- this was a little bit of a shock to them as they saw that and how they were treated. And the chapter ends with the fact it says that they got drunk together. Well, that's not at all an endorsement for drinking. Uh, don't get that idea at all. Scripture is pretty clear uh, that you are not to be drunk. Uh, scripture is, you know, very clear on that. Um, you know, this is just a statement of what actually happened. That's what's going on. Some people take statements in the Bible and then they try to justify what they're doing or excuse what they're doing. Uh, what we need to realize is some of it's in there because that's what happened, not because it's an endorsement about something. Now, it seems that the day ended with Joseph having his servant. Notice there he filled his, uh, filled the brother's bags with grain, once again returned the money into each one of their bags, and then he also had him hide the silver cup, it says, in Benjamin's bag. Now, uh, you know, the, verse 3 takes us to the next day. When they were leaving, you know, in in verse 3, it says, at morning light. So there we are in the next day. And really, it seems like it would have started out quite well. Think of how this all went. You know, they had not been accused of being spies. Last time when they were with Joseph, the last time that they were invited to his house, they were accused of being spies. And as they were accused of being spies, they were thrown in jail. Here they had not been arrested. And they hadn't been arrested for stealing the money. One of the thing, one of the concerns they had about coming back and returning was that they would be accused of stealing money. Because here they had this, you know, and this money was returned. They weren't accused of stealing money for the first load of grain. Simeon had been released to them. He had been brought in and had that meal together with them. Uh, things were really going quite nicely. They had a nice meal with this Egyptian official in his home. Uh, their bags were loaded with more grain, what they came for. Benjamin was still safe at this point see in the morning as they're leaving benjamin is still safe and they're traveling back home to their families good trip i mean really this was a good trip for them things went much better than they expected 
It went much better than they thought they were going when they first came and they were taken to the Egyptian leader's home. You know, so this was a good trip. What they didn't know is that Joseph had set them up. Joseph set them up to be arrested. And they, they weren't, they weren't aware of that. You know, after their, after their last experience, don't you think at least one of them would have checked their bag? I mean, really. Don't you think you would have peeked in that bag, you know, or felt around a little bit? Uh, you know, I would, I don't think I would have gotten too far out of town, but that's just me, you know, because of the way I am, I suppose, but I'm not the only one like that. And out of these 11, 11 of them, you would think at least one of them was a little bit OCD, you know, and, uh, and would want to check that bag to see what was in there. Well, they, they, they apparently, uh, you know, didn't do that. Uh, Joseph had a plan, and he had a plan to keep connected with his brothers. I can understand that. I can understand wanting to stay connected, you know, and he had, to, he had this plan. He wanted to be, you know, connected uh, to his brothers. This opportunity of his brothers coming, well, it seemed to be more than he had expected, you know, when they first came, and now he, they, they came back again. He had Simeon, you know, had that little connection still, so they had to come back. Well, by golly, they did come back. Well, now here, they're all leaving, and they're all leaving, but he wants something to have, you know, he didn't want this opportunity to get away, is what it seems to me. That he had this connection, you know, he had this time with his brothers, and he didn't want to let this get away. So he comes up with the plan, puts the silver cup in Benjamin's bag, and then sends the uh, servant to accuse him of stealing the cup. Now, just a reminder of something we've covered before. You know, just a, a reminder, a point we covered several times in this series. And that's, you know, it's never okay to lie. It's, it's never okay to lie. You know, and, and we look at this, the end, the end never justifies the means. You need to understand that. If you have unholy means, you have an unholy end. The end doesn't justify the means. You can say, well, you know, the, the uh, uh, you know, the, the, what's going to happen, what's going to come out, that, that, that's worth, think about what we're doing here. That's worth me telling a lie. It's worth you going against what God says. God says not to lie. God says speak the truth to one another. Here he says them, you know, and he lies. It's just never, it's never, a lie is a lie against the truth, and therefore it's a lie against God. You see? A lie is a lie against the truth, and therefore it's, it's a, a lie against God. It's a sin against, against God. Well, shortly after the brothers leave, Joseph sends this servant out to chase them down, accuse them of stealing. And another point, another point that we brought up before that you need to remember, your sin affects more than yourself. Your sin always affects more than yourself. So now the servant is lying. We might say, well, you know, he had to. He had to lie. Joseph told him to. No. Your sin is always your choice. You can't push that off on someone else. You cannot push that off on someone else. Your sin is always your choice. When I was a millwright and uh, doing the millwright and welding work in Chicago, I was uh, sent to a General Mills flower plant that was within the city limits of Chicago. Chicago was a very strong union town. It still is, but it was even more so at this time when Richard Daly was the mayor, um, one of the Richard Daly's. Uh, when they were the mayor, it was very, very strong union. If you wanted to work in the city, you were in the union. 
that's pretty much all there was to it. You know, and if you wanted to do work in the city, you were union. Any of those construction projects that you see going on around the city, whether they're downtown or out somewhere else, every worker on site was union. That's just the way it was. And for a big part, that's the way, that's, you know, the way it still is. Well, um, our, our shop was in the suburbs and our shop was non-union. My boss told me that when you get there, their maintenance guys are going to meet you at the gate. And my boss said, they're in the city. You know, they may ask you if you're in the union. At that point, I had grown enough as a Christian, and I looked at my boss. It was Jim DeMay. We had five bosses. I remember exactly which one was talking to me at that time. And I said, Jim, I'm not going to lie. He said, you're not going to be able to get in to do that job, you know, if you don't tell them that you're in the union. And I told him, I said, Jim, I'm not going to lie. I wasn't trying to be a jerk, and I really I wasn't trying to get out of anything. This was a job I enjoyed doing and things I liked doing. And um, But at that point, I was giving him the opportunity to send someone else to do this. You know, if he wanted to. Well, you know, he sent me. And so I, I you know, I, I got there. I got to the plant and um, I met their maintenance guy was waiting for me at the gate when I pulled in, told him who I was. He came out and he got in next to me and sat next to me in, in my truck as we drove in. And uh, every time, every time they brought up uh, the union, I just changed the subject. I never lied. I didn't have to because they ne- they never really pushed it to the point where they said, are you in the union and waited for an answer. They just talked about the union and I'd say a couple things about the union and, you know, they were just general statements about union and I changed the subject. I was out there for three days working. But if I push came to shove, I was not going to lie and say that I was in the union. What you do is always your choice. Now we think, well, this guy, you know, he was a servant. He had no choice. There may be severe consequences. I am not negating that. I am not saying that there are not and may not sometimes be severe consequences. You know, and there may be some severe consequences by standing for God. But what you need to realize, you know, you need to stand for God and not sin. When the opportunity comes, when the opportunity presents itself, you always are the one who makes the choice. You can't blame it on someone else. You are always the one who makes the choice, and you will answer for your choices. We need to realize, we need to remember that we are responsible. You know, you are responsible for the choices you make. You cannot blame someone else for your choices. You cannot blame someone else for the choices you make. You may have felt pressure to give in. I'm not denying that. You know, you, you may feel like you don't have a choice, but what we really, what, what that usually means is I don't have a choice, you know, if I want to have what I feel I need to have. That's usually what it means. I don't have a choice. No, you always have a choice. Yes, the, the consequences sometimes may be severe. But you always have that choice, you know, of, of to whether you're going to sin or not. Unfortunately, what we sometimes do is we sell out God for money, for our job, for, you know, uh, you name it, for someone else's opinion of us. 
You have the choice. Choose not to sin. You're responsible for the choices you make with the opportunities you have. You know, it's not how you wish things were, but for the opportunity you're facing at the moment. You know, there's a lot of things that go on that we wish we didn't have to face, but that's not the question. The question is how you respond to what you're facing at the moment. You know, the opportunity to sin is always the opportunity not to sin. Every opportunity to sin is also the opportunity not to sin. Earlier in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve were given an opportunity to choose. They chose poorly. They, they, you know, Eve was presented with the opportunity to go against what God said. Did God really say? You know, she knew exactly what God really said, and God did really say, "Don't eat from this particular tree." But what she did is she chose to go against what God said. Adam was presented, you know, with the opportunity to go against what God said. It says, well, you know, when Eve brought it to him, and he too ate it. And by the way, if you read that passage, it says that Adam was there with her. So not only did he sin, he watched her and allowed her to sin. You know, they both chose to sin. They both chose to go against God. Now, they each tried to give an excuse, didn't they? Adam, what have you done? Well, it's this woman. It wasn't me. It's this woman you gave me. It, it's her. It's, it's this woman. He looked at Eve, he said, what have you done, and what did she do? Well, it's not, it's not me, it's this serpent that, by the way, God, aren't you the one who created this serpent? It's this serpent, you see. What did God do? God said to Adam, because you have sinned. Said to Eve, because you have sinned. And said to the serpent, you know, because you, each one was accountable for their own actions. Each one was accountable for the choice they made when presented with that opportunity and they chose the opportunity to sin. So Joseph Stewart now chases these guys down, chases the brothers down, and he takes the opportunity to lie to them. And again, you know, you could try to excuse that if you want to. Look at their response in verse nine. Quite, quite foolish, really. If any one of us is found to have it, he must die. And we also will become my Lord's slaves. You know, when the opportunity comes, be very careful of impulsive statements. Be very careful of impulsive statements. Or of making promises, particularly when you don't have all the information. You know, or making promises that you certainly wouldn't fulfill if it came in time to it. Why would, why would they offer the lives of one of their brothers for this? Why would you do that? Was this something you were really going to fulfill when it came time to do it? Now, this is the same impulsive response that Jacob, their father, you know, Jacob Israel, gave to Laban when Laban chased him down uh, to retrieve his idols. Uh, when, when Laban, when, uh, excuse me, when uh, Jacob was returning with Rachel and, and Leah and their families and servants and all, and he was, he was returning to his homeland, Rachel stole some of the household idols Laban chased him down and said, hey, you know, you stole my idols. And, and this, was, this was Jacob's reply. If you find your gods with anyone here, he will not live. Before our relatives point out anything that is yours and take it. Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the idols. You see, be careful. Be careful of speaking impulsively. Uh, Proverbs 19, or excuse me, Proverbs 29, verse 20. 
says, do you see a man who speaks too soon? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Now, to them, a fool was somebody who was totally lacking any moral, moral wisdom, any moral compass at all. That was a fool in their minds. And it says, do you see a man who speaks too soon? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Be careful of speaking impulsively. Well, fortunately here, the steward had enough sense to make the stakes more realistic. The guilty party would not be put to death. Instead, he said, you know, the guilty party would become a slave. Still not ideal. You know, becoming a slave isn't ideal, but it's a lot better better than death. And the steward searches their bags. It's interesting to me that nobody that it never mentions the return of the money. It does. I mean, we're not told. We're, we're just not told. It's it's quiet, you know. But the money was returned into their bags. If you recall, the first time they were quite upset. The money was in their bags, and oh no, you know, this is not a good thing. Well, here the money's back in their bags, and it seems no one's alarmed by the money being returned. But maybe again, they're not saying anything because that wasn't the object in question here. Well, the man, the servant, finds a silver cup in Benjamin's bag, and they freak out. You know, I mean, they they uh, they kind of lose it. Benjamin, the one that they were was very specifically told, you need to make sure he comes back. You know, their dad didn't want anything to happen to him. And it's found, it says they tear their clothing, which seems a little extreme to us, but it was a sign of deep grief. It was a sign of deep sorrow for them. You know, we, we, we all express things in, you know, in different ways. And, um, we can say some are more emotional than others. That's, that, while that's true in different societies, different cultures, they express their grief, uh, more than, more than, uh, we do. I did a, um, I did a funeral for, uh, a black family, um, one time and the, the, uh, grandmother of the deceased, was very expressive. I mean, lot, you want to talk about loud wailing and sobbing and the whole time I was doing the funeral. And she came up to me afterwards and she said, I'm sorry, I just had to let it out. And I said, that's fine, you know. It's probably healthier than some of us who try to repress things and push things down, which goes, you know, and that's uh, that's what we do, you know, in, 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 in our culture. Well, this man finds this silver cup they, 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 you know, they, they tear in their clothes. You see, here's our problem. We often take sin too lightly. We take sin too lightly. You know, it, 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 we're not at all grieved by it. We had an example this week of this going on. And if you haven't, if you haven't seen the, uh, some of the events of what's been going on, um, uh, you are you are significantly more disconnected than than I would ever have imagined. I know some of you aren't. Some of you are overconnected, and that's a problem for you. But at any rate, um, so earlier this week, uh, a gentleman um, was uh, uh, George Floyd, uh, a black gentleman, was. Uh, arrested by the police and a policeman knelt on his neck for eight and a half minutes while this, while this gentleman pleaded to be able to breathe again. Uh, if that doesn't bother you, I think you really need to begin searching your heart a little bit more. You know, it should give us all pause. 
Um, you know, we should be grieved. We should be grieved uh, by that. And so now, uh, you know, a lot of demonstrations have been going on, even downtown, a few blocks from Glenn and Cindy's house, as a matter of fact. Um, you know, and, and we all have our opinions on some of this. Um, the demonstration, and the, 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 let me rephrase that, the destruction is not good. It's not beneficial for anyone. I was, I was um, watching some of it, probably more than I should. And I will say one of the things I was watching for was if I knew anybody down there. Well, while I was doing that, I saw one of the signs that they were holding, and this is what it said. It said, all lives won't matter until black lives matter. I took exception to that at first because this whole thing of black lives matter just irritated me a little bit, the phrase. I thought about what that sign said. All lives won't matter until black lives matter. You know something? That's true. That's a true statement. All lives won't matter until we realize that all lives matter. Now, what we begin to do is we begin to put up, well, you know, we see that as exclusive. I guess I would encourage you to start seeing it as inclusive instead of exclusive. Black lives matter. Blue lives matter when they say that, you know, about the police, that matters. Yes, white lives matter. All The point is, you know, all lives matter. This morning I was reading in Ecclesiastes before I came to church. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 and 10 stuck out to me. And then the more I thought about it, I realized, well, let me read it to you. You're familiar with it, some of you. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. We need to stand with others for righteousness. We need to be able to stand, you know, with, with others, you know, for righteousness and, and, you know, and what it is. Um, what we need to realize, I, I think part of what we need to realize is, you know, we are guilty even if we don't feel like it. And realizing you're guilty is a powerful wake-up call. You know, it, it's, we're all sinners. The Bible is very clear on that in case you've missed it. Romans 3, uh, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many have sinned? All. All have sinned. All lives matter. That anyone could be treated the way that man was treated is appalling. And again, we can begin to make up excuses. In the days of the early church, they faced a great division. 
uh, barbarians hated hated Jews. Jews hated barbarians. You know, the circumcised hated the uncircumcised. The Scythians hated anyone who wasn't like them. Slaves hated their masters. And yet this is what Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. He said here, meaning in the church, here those who are in Christ. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free. But Christ is all and is in all. And what we need to realize is those things that we let divide us. And what I had to realize is, okay, that, that saying black lives matter, yes, some handle it poorly. But it's a true statement. Have they been singled out more than others? In some ways, yeah, they have. You can say no all you want to. It came, it really hit me one time when, um, you know, when, well, when we had friends and, uh, you know, they're talking to me about applying for this job. It was Chad Riddle. A lot of you know Chad. Chad's a black man, used to live right behind the church, and came to church here. He lives in Indianapolis now. And last I heard, by the way, is walking with the Lord very well, which is I'm very grateful for. But anyway, he was, you know, he was talking to me, and he was talking about it where he applied for a job, and he was telling me about how it went and stuff. And he got to a part of the story, and he was in, he, you know, he was encouraged overall how it went. And he, as he was relating to me his interview with this guy, and I, as soon as he told me what this guy said, I knew I said I, I, I didn't say it, but I knew to myself, Chad, he is not going to hire you because you're black. And it hit me like a kick in the stomach. You know, all lives matter. Who did Christ die for? The world. Um, You know, we discount sin when we think it's not so bad. When we think it doesn't apply to us. You know, we, we, we point out, you know, people who are worse sinners than we are. Yes, what's going on downtown with some of that demonstration? No, that's, that's bad. You know, break a window, do it, you know, wanton destruction is bad. But that doesn't mean that everyone down there, that doesn't mean that, you know, what they started with. Um, the question is not the degree or the depth of sin. What we need to realize is the problem is the presence of sin. That's our problem, the presence of sin. You know, when the opportunity comes to not sin, uh, too often we reject it. You know, we reject it and we choose to sin instead. We are guilty before God and we need to take the opportunity to do better. We need to take the opportunity to do better, to repent, to change our ways, to change our way of looking at our sin, to change our way of responding to sin. The brothers here in Genesis are in the midst of this. And what they're in the midst of is really Joseph choosing, Joseph taking the opportunity and choosing to sin. You know, we can say, well, he was testing his brothers, and I believe he was. 
but he chose to sin to do it. He chose to use his power and his influence to push others to do what? To sin to accomplish his goal and his purpose. And we need to realize and we need to understand that every opportunity to sin, every opportunity to to uh, to destroy something is the opportunity not to sin, is the opportunity to do better. And what we need to do is we need to take that opportunity to do better. You have other blanks in your outline that we're not going to get to. Uh, we'll probably pick it up next week. I can't guarantee it, but let me encourage you. You take the opportunity to do better. No matter what's facing you, take the opportunity to do better. Yes, you know, the, the, the people, you know, there are, there are some who don't follow Christ and don't be surprised when they act like people who don't follow Christ, alright? But you always remember you have the opportunity to bring Christ into the situation. If you have a relationship with Jesus, if He is your Savior, if you've come to that point where you realize that I'm a sinner, you know, that you realize I'm a sinner and, you know, I fall short of God's glory and that you have come to Christ for forgiveness, you bring Christ into every situation. If you find yourself in the midst of something, you know, and, and you, you aren't the one that can control it and stuff, then do what scripture says, leave, flee. Flee youthful lust. You know, don't, don't, don't participate in that. Every time you have opportunity to do better, use that opportunity to bring Christ into the situation. Use that opportunity to lift him up. Use that opportunity to bring glory to his name in the moment at that time. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and your truth. I thank you for what is ours in Christ. Now, we have a lot going on in our city even and in our town. And, and um, it's aggravating, it's embarrassing, it's frustrating. But those of us who know you, Father, help us to minister truth. Help us to minister um, peace where we can. I lift up this family of George Floyd, and Lord, to have to see that over and over again on the news was a horrible thing. I pray for this police officer who was arrested. Lord, that his heart would be touched by you. For all those police officers that were involved, that their hearts would be touched by you. I pray for those who are doing destruction in our own city. Lord, this is an indication that they, they certainly are not acting as if they know you. I can only assume they don't. Father, I pray that righteousness might reign in your people. You've told us that if your people who are called by your name, those of us who know you, those of us who have a relationship with you, if we will be the ones who will repent, if we will be the ones who will turn from our wicked way, that you will hear and you will heal. Lord, forgive me. for not caring as I should. Help us, Lord, to be those who are transformed by the grace and power of God 
that we might go forth. That we might go forth in that grace and power to be able to share the transforming love of Jesus Christ with others. That with us, there will be no black and white, yellow and brown. There won't be those who stand and say they're not like me, but that we might be one in Christ. May that power of a new life that you died and you gave your life so that we can have a new life, may that be more and more real to us each and every day we pray in Christ's name. Amen.